This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. One of the great benefits of helping other people heal is that I get to witness the potency of compassion. A person shared with me a moment that had haunted her for decades. It was a circumstance where she was not able to help a vulnerable person she loved. Since trauma is not in the event, it is in the body until it is resolved, then it does not matter that this moment was over 40 years ago. She was endlessly looping in empathy, which is sensing the state of another. If the person we are sensing is in a state of distress, then through our mirror neurons, we feel distress. I suggested she move from empathy to compassion. Compassion is empathy plus taking action to help, which can be sending our loving prayer. When we act from the desire to relieve suffering, we have moved from a passive state to an action state. The looping emotion was feeling helpless. I suggested... Would you like to say the soothing prayer that you would have said to your person had you been able to at the time? Well, I will sing caring to you. I sang while she sent prayers of her love, reassurance, and kindness. The transformation was beyond what I had even hoped. She immediately had a new, enlivening image of delivering her love. Taking this to the next level is delivering this love to ourselves. Can we include ourselves in the circle of people who need kind words? A self-critical voice is motivated by threat. A self-compassionate voice is motivated by safety. Pay attention to what is helpful. Organize your mind around compassionate self-talk, and you will see benefits to your motivation and your physical health. It will ripple out and add warmth in your relationship. Feeling connected to ourselves opens the door to feeling connected to others. Connection is the thread that weaves social belonging. When we have walked the long road of feeling compassion and belonging in our body, we are ready to take our next steps that uplifts human kindness, writes Robin. Valeria Tellez interviews Robin Aisha Landsong, the author of Loving Bravely. She is also a transformational speaker, visionary artist, author, and craniosacral therapist. During a death experience at eight years old, Robin was called back to life by the medicine song of her beloved African mother. Robin then became able to hear the medicine songs from the land and the song each person carries within. She had a second death during the Rhodesian War in 1977. This opened her to become a health intuitive and medium. She has had the privilege to help over 14,000 people heal trauma response, transform self-criticism into self-compassion, and cultivate ancestral healing. Meet Robin at robinlandsong.com backslash subscribe dash Lansong. Here's the interview with Robin Aisha Lansong.
in your own words, who is Robin Aisha Langsong? Mm, what a beautiful question. I feel gratitude. And so at this moment, I would say I am gratitude for all that has been difficult and all that I've been given and all that's been broken open through life and the ways life has revealed myself to me, you know, which is essentially divine source. I have heard so many different terms and words for that, that is true uh, with capital T. So would you say that divine source can be also translated into words such as God, the divine, or heaven? Hmm. You know, that's such an interesting question as far as I'm going to answer from my perspective and how life, life has shaped my worldview on this that having had several near-death experiences and gotten close to that original source, which I believe I call the great heart. And from my experience and perspective, the great heart sung us into being. And so we were a seed syllable and we got sung into being. And so much about the opportunity and the challenge of being here, present on earth, is, like you say, to bring heaven on earth. What are the ways that we can show up with what we've been given and be of service to others to uplift everyone to help them remember their true nature, their true goodness, and their gifts and their strengths? And really my goal in what I want for everyone is to increase the ways that we take care of each other, ways that we can be good to each other, and ways that, and that includes honoring the strengths and gifts in other people. Right now, I live in Mount Shasta, California, and one of my favorite things about this community is the non-judgment of people do so many beautiful workshops because it's okay if you're not really developed yet, or it's okay if you're just starting out. And when somebody offers something, you know, at an open mic or a performance or a workshop, there's such gentle receptivity that facilitates people being more creative and collaborating with each other even more. So safety equals people having the freedom to show up and not fear such harsh criticism that it's okay to make a mistake or it's okay to be a beginner, it's okay not to know. And so that's really what a lot of my work is about cultivating is more kindness in the world so that we can have this space to be who we really are in our true nature. Talk to me for a moment about how you received your name, Lansong. Mm. Thank you for that question. So when I was 19, my trauma experiences for my first 19 years, just my body could no longer suppress it. And again, I was in a reasonably safe environment at college, away from my family. And so literally all the trauma response started to erupt you know, in nightmares, in really not being able to function. And, and so what happened is it, it forced me into, into doing my trauma work, into doing my resolution work. And so I actually went to some residential trauma treatment centers, and that was a very powerful space to allow me to reveal the truth of what had happened and let go of my story I had created out of denial you know, the kind of the front story that we can often create to reassure ourselves that everything was okay. 
And so I exchanged that front story for the truth. And that released, of course, a ton of energy. And it wasn't a fun process at all. It was a very challenging process. And so when I was complete with the, being at the Residential Trauma Treatment Center, I moved to Seattle. And I was starting my life over. And I was living in a women's shelter. And every night I prayed to know my true name. And so each night I would just, I would just surrender and allow and ask, what is my true name? Because it didn't make any sense to me to continue my family name. And so for nights, I just wrote down everything I thought I received, but nothing really felt like it landed yet. And so one night I, again, I was just allowing, surrendering, asking. And I think the greatest prayer is thank you. Instead of filling the channel with requests, just just saying thank you. So I was saying thank you for my new name. And I dropped into vision. And what I was shown was a council of elders. And it was interesting because they were actually all male. And and at the time, I was very oriented in a very feminist way. So that was interesting to me. And one of those elders turned to me in this vision. And he said, your name is Lansong. And I wrote it down. And it felt complete. It felt done. And so the next day I took that name and I went to the court and I made it my legal name. And it was an interesting moment when the judge said, are you sure? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, then it is so. And he stamped stamped it officially. And my favorite part was I went to the bank and I was just starting my life over. So I was opening my first bank account there. And the person decided based on my last name that I must be a famous musician. (laughs) And so here I am. (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing all this trauma recovery work. I feel like my self-esteem is so low. My life is so shattered. But she was convinced she was working with somebody famous and a famous musician. So I didn't correct her and I just let her have her story. <laughs> and yeah. and so she was you know, so excited about working with me. And I thought, oh my gosh, if you only knew how bad I feel inside right now. But it's making your day to think I'm some famous musician. So I, I let her have that. And it was a delightful moment for both of us. And the truth is, I didn't understand it at the time. I was just in too much trauma response and working with, you know, dealing with all the that comes with the burden of trauma. And over the years, I began to really open up singing. So it was when I was in um, massage school and graduating from massage school that I began to understand land song, that my divine assignment was to sing the song of the land, you know, to the land, to people. And to really tap into the song that we were each born with and do my best to sing that back to people. So about 15 years after I received that vision, I was at a native ceremony where all races were welcome. And one of the elders was walking around the circle and saying, sometimes it takes us 15 years to really understand a vision. And I thought, oh, I'm not late. I'm right on time. It was about 15 years since I had that first vision. And in that ceremony, they asked me to be part of the closing ceremony. And the singing from the land, the the memory, the ancestors who reside still in the land sang through me in such a potent way that it was valuable to me. And a lot of people told me it was one of the highlights for them of the three-day ceremony of just that permission to remember that place where there's a language in the land and a language in our bodies. And if we can soften and listen to that and allow that to come through, 
it's going to be of service both to honor land and honor one another. And so I've sung to about, um, I've sung about 16,000 sessions. And it really amazes and humbles me each time that I can't actually tell you exactly how it works. But just in my meditations, I say, please let me be the hollow bone. Please let what medicine needs to come through for this person, this area of the land, to help us all remember our original goodness and the medicine and our own medicine that we have inside ourselves to, to activate that, to bring that to life, to bring that to the forefront. And even listening to you, it uh, becomes a song to the intellect in connection to that deeper uh, landscape of the spirit. How amazing. And this might be the moment, Robin, to sing a song. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. So right now, since I'm with you, I'll focus on singing to you. And so I'm just going to narrate a little bit of the process. So I just make sure to relax my body. Again, I've just been the humble servant. You know, how can spirit serve you right now through singing through me? Some people have described. Uh, I'm not sure what that is exactly, but the body is um, responding with goosebumps uh, in different areas, and um, ah, and there's like this breathing that is taken in and then releasing, almost like um, with a lot of force, um, I would say. And um, hmm. ah. is that something that? You would explain, Robin, or you just let it be what else is happening in the body? You know, I think it's so unique for each person. And, you know, for some people, it's just um, calming. And for other people, it you know, especially if I do rounds of it, it's very transforming in terms of really what I'm focusing on is the nurturing and how much we all need to be witnessed. And that when our being, our essence, our nervous system, our history has compassionate witness, it gives us the space to relax. And when we relax, our, we're much more receptive to our own healing and much more receptive to what inside ourselves need to be witnessed. Because when we can turn towards rather than abandon our own suffering, that's when we can allow it to have space, allow it to move from being compressed 
to being spacious, to being integrated and metabolized. And the real moment of trauma transformation or abandonment transformation is that spacious metabolizing, that integrating. That's when we can get to meaning making. That's when we can rewrite our own story from a victim story to a survivor story, ultimately to a leadership story. I actually do pretty often, I would say every two months, Reiki sessions. And I feel there's every, so many things happening within the body, but the mind cannot understand. There's no mm-hmm. really cognitive like direction, got nothing. There's no thoughts really, but the body's doing so much. And I know something's being released, transformed, but it, the mind's completely out of it. I often wonder why. <laughs> why is the mind? Because I, ta- I, I write a lot and I talk a lot with so many amazing people and to translate all these uh, feelings and perhaps these callings and these messages, profound messages. But from those experiences I have, even now in, in this moment with you, it's speechless. It's, there's no words that could describe what it is. So it's just mm-hmm. silence. It's very, yeah, it's very powerful in its own right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really enjoy in my uh, years of experience doing craniosacrotherapy, biodynamic craniosacrotherapy, is when we get to that spacious place. And it is beyond words, beyond cognition. And there's value in so many different methods of healing, as of course you know, and, and your listeners also know. And I found for myself in my own trauma resolution that I needed to do different kinds of healing at different times. And so when I was just starting out, going from being a very compressed, very repressed person, that cognitive and you know, discussing things and talk therapy was helpful to give me some landmarks of, you know, around changing my self-identity, around changing my self-story. And so the further I got and the safer I got in my nervous system, the more willing I was to go into techniques that do become wordless, do become just about spaciousness, where we know we're different, we know we're changed, and we just really have to live our lives and see, am I less reactive? Am I able to calm down sooner if I get triggered? Do I have more self-care? Am I able to stop some of the destructive eating and go into the constructive and the self-nurturing through food? So that's really the question to me is, I know after we have these transformative sessions with all variety of techniques, what changes in our life? Are we able to be less judgmental? Are we able to see somebody that we might have categorized quickly, but then pause for a second and see their humanity? Mm. So those are the changes I'm interested in. How do you define spirituality these days, Robin? That's, you ask great questions. The, really what comes up immediately is life-giving Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the less concepts, I think, the better, because we don't want to just trade, you know, say if we had grew up in an alcoholic family or a you know very religious family that had a lot of rules, um, then just trading spirituality that also has a lot of rules or judgments doesn't seem to be up-leveling the life-giving aspect. So I myself uh, practice um, Buddhist meditation and chakra meditation, and I found that by your grounding. So everything that can be really grounding, movement in the body, exercise, being in nature, that 
sometimes for people who did have a childhood that facilitated being dissociative, meaning up and out, not very in the body, that the spirituality can also be a form of dissociation, a form of not connecting to our physical form. So I'm really about all kinds of practices that bring us home to this soma, to this body, to this landscape of our body, our human cells, because that's the place that I'm able to manifest more of my projects and ideas. That's the place I'm really able to touch other people. And that's the place that I feel most rooted in joy, in life-giving joy. And early in my process, when I was still quite dissociative, I could, you know, I could travel different places, but it didn't make a lot of change in my life um, in terms of how things actually showed up. So I'm very much an advocate for things that are based in really observing what's true. It's one of the things I like about Buddhism is not reinforcing our story or our beliefs, but just observing like what's happening right now and what's what's the truth, which of course is always going to be colored by our experiences. But that's the beauty of trauma resolution is we're not seeing through defensive trauma-informed eyes. We're getting clear of that and able to see people's intent that isn't just from a defensive place. So I would say life-giving, and that includes you know, eating beautiful food and eating whole food and, mm. and just the ways that we can uplift other people's lives. Life-giving, I love that. And you made me wonder the reason why I eat fish. <laughs> I, love, I still eat fish, salmon, and sometimes tuna. And then I wonder why too, because I do know that it's a dead body and that should not be promoting life. Um, well, again, I think coming back to what's observing the body's responses and observing the truth that is there. And one of the definitions I heard recently of kind of, you know, the more um, challenging side of culture is deeply held assumptions and beliefs. And so, again, that's why I really cherish the Buddhist practice of just observing outcomes And so, you know, same thing for myself. I tried being a vegetarian and just my body wasn't doing well. I was anemic, you know, showing up in blood tests. I was weak. I was losing strength. And so I do believe there are body types that can be vegetarian and be just fine. And I believe uh, for myself, especially as a severe trauma survivor, that I do need protein. And so I do a blessing. I try to be as conscious about it as possible get high quality, organic, well-treated. So it can still be in alignment. And I'm still a mammal that needs that kind of protein. And I'm, I'm okay with that. And, and so I think that's the piece is, are we doing something that our body needs, but then berating ourselves for it? And if I can just drop into a little bit about one of my really new deep passions is about observing the ways we do self-criticism and self-beratement. And can we take that same moment, the moment we notice we're in self-criticism, which high expectations or unrealistic expectations is a form of self-criticism because we're never going to be good enough if we don't meet this idea or assumption that we have. And so dropping into noticing the moment we have that thought 
stopping that thought mid-sentence, coming back to the breath. Am I breathing in or am I breathing out? Giving it space. And so that's step one, is just the noticing and interrupting the self-criticism, the unrealistic expectations. And that's enough. Like that's a project for a year right there. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. And step two is shifting it over to compassion. So first we've noticed the suffering, noticed the distress of our self-criticism, and then shifting it over to compassion. Wow, it's hard to have a value that doesn't match what my body needs. Mm. Or it's hard to be confused Mm. about what's the right thing to do. So you can see there's a gentle, open spaciousness in that compassion piece. And the definition of compassion is wishing the relief of suffering, our suffering, somebody else's suffering. And when we can, taking action to relieve that suffering and increase well-being. Oh, what a beautiful definition. And I know one of um, the questions, the guide questions that I have received from you is that the difference between compassion and empathy. I would love to hear more too, Robin, mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, like I say, I'm taking a fantastic training through Stanford on, on compassion. And the empathy is being with the suffering. So, so you have to initially notice the suffering You know, so when I was singing to you, I was feeling all these places of fluidity and flow. I was feeling your ancestors. And then there was just like slight traces of areas of distress. And so I was singing to all of it. And so I was noticing both the strengths, the ancestral um, richness, the what's available to you there. And I was also noticing the areas of a little bit of distress and suffering. And so being with that, So that's my definition of empathy is being with. So not turning away from our own suffering or somebody else's suffering. If we feel we are in a place of low capacity to do something about that suffering, we are more likely to turn away from even noticing the suffering. So that's step one, noticing the suffering, having some faith in ourselves that we can stay with it, that it won't overwhelm us or um, won't add to our confusion or our lack of sleep. So if we if we trust ourselves enough to be with the suffering, then there's deciding that the other person is worthy of compassion. You know, and so this is where social equality comes in that, and our judgments. So if we decide this person is not worthy of compassion, then the process is stopped right there. If we decide this person is worthy of our compassion, which again is an action word, which is either doing a prayer for their well-being, relief of their suffering, or if we can, you know, physically doing something, whether it's just listening to their distress or being with them, witnessing them, um, you know, in circumstances like when there's a, you know, say there's an emergency of actually showing up and taking action to help them out. And what happens for us when we can take action Of course, there's all kinds of research on the benefits of altruism, the benefits of helping another human being, is that our sense of agency goes up, our oxytocin, our dopamine goes up. So this is very physiological benefits to being altruistic, to being compassionate. And our own faith in human goodness goes up when we take the time to take action on the behalf of somebody else's suffering. So it's a beautiful cycle, and there's so much that can get derailed along the way. And so the more conscious we are of our own presencing, 
with receiving ourselves, not avoiding or abandoning ourselves, that every single time we are able to stay with ourselves, stay with our difficulty, increases our capacity to be present to other people's difficulty. This is something that um, it seems like we learn to do pretty young, when we are very young, early on, to escape, to push away pain. So I know that we, um, most of us, I'm included still in the process of unlearning to let the pain be and listen to it. That's one of the things that I, one of my favorite practices actually these days, listen to it. Yeah, and uh, Tubten Jinpa, he's the he's a Buddhist monk who is the leader for Compassion Institute and the translator for the Dalai Lama. I took a training with him and he talked about compassion is both innate and trainable. And so the research shows that even infants are innately compassionate. They want their mother to be well, not only in a selfish way of wanting you know, their mother to be well, to be able to care for them, but they also just innately want those around them to be well. And so they will naturally, innately, you know, try to uplift the well-being of those around them. And it's, if we have a dilemma around being that generous and being safe, that's when things get complex in our nervous system and our being about being generous. How do you see this idea, the concept of love, and the concept of, or the idea of compassion, are they equal, the same, or somehow different in our own minds? Different. Mm, that's interesting. I hadn't contemplated that. I think, I think we can be compassionate, meaning taking action for the well-being of others, without, you know, certainly without being in love. But you're right. I do believe it sparks. I guess it's the question between what's the definition of caring and love and so I think all these things are so subjective and so personal but that that spark to help somebody else to lift them up to care for them I believe that comes from so many different places and you know one again being our own self-preservation if people around us are doing well then our environment is going to be more well and just the beauty of I'm just thinking of how wonderful it feels it's even just remembering this so much of my personal life and also my work life, when I see somebody get uplifted by my contribution or transformed from my contribution, it also creates love. And so my, my heart opening for them gets even bigger when they are, when they are transforming. So that's a really interesting place to question kind of which, Where's the start and how does one opening of caring and love beget being of service? And how does being of service open up more love in my heart? What comes to mind when you think about the purpose of the human experience? Why this has to be when it couldn't be? It it can be either way. We could be here or not be here. So I often wonder why this is life itself. Hmm. I would say from my experience that being alive here on the planet is about connection. And can we connect to the lands, connect to ourselves, connect to our experiences, connect to each other, and be community? I was doing some more research on 
on the on different justice processes and and there was a beautiful young man who was speaking about social justice and environmental justice are not two separate things and can we care for the land and in the environment as we're caring for each other so that really was a beautiful statement of connecting and so different causes different focuses that when they are well enough because when people are stressed and challenged and under-resourced they tend to get into division they tend to get into us them tend to get into calling names or dividing up and categorizing making somebody else the other and when people are safe enough resourced enough feel like they have enough to give like that there's not just you know one slice of bread on the table but a whole loaf of bread on the table then we can have the capacity to do that greater connection to go across lines one of the things i love in my one of my projects i have coming up and working with iraq vets is i was i was harmed by a vet and i was harmed by a soldier and so i could if i was going to make anybody else other and stereotype or judge and not see the humanity in somebody it would be a soldier and so i'm purposely taking on the project of working directly with iraq vets and seeing their humanity seeing their experience and i the other day an iraq vet came over and he read me his poem about his combat experience and of course i was moved and in tears and you know horrified and also the connection that happened since i'm also a war survivor from childhood the connection that happened when he spoke about his war experience even though he was on it looked like he was on the side of power and he's on one end of the gun and as a child i was on the receiving end of the gun that i could completely relate to when he was speaking about his sanity unraveling in this war circumstance and so that's in a way all i need to know is that's the place where we root and we connect so i believe we're here to work with our judgments work with our stereotypes work with the ways we make somebody else other and see can i soften that just a little bit can i dial down my judgment just one point so that i can recognize the humanity in somebody else and i'm not saying open yourself to somebody who's being abusive and i'm and not saying being putting yourself in a power dynamic where you're on the brunt end of it or you know you're the you're the somebody else's punching bag i'm not saying that at all cuz boundaries are part of love bound and setting boundaries with somebody telling someone no is a form of love telling someone that their behavior is unacceptable is a form of love because you're helping them self correct giving them guidelines so the dance of connection would be my answer in terms of why we're here it's almost like the body is the anchor of separation Mm-hmm. It feels that way in so many ways, but mm-hmm. it can also be the anchor of true love in that sense. And how beautiful that is! <laughs> Only, yeah, just by thinking about it is just the most incredible thing. Mm-hmm. So this might be a good moment for you to talk to me about your upcoming book, "Loving Bravely." Mm-hmm. So it's my experience of when I was eight years old living in the U.S. I was abducted by a soldier. It was 1977. 
and he took me out of the, drugged me and took me out of the country. And when I became conscious again, unbeknownst to me, I was in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, which is above South Africa. And it was the height of the Rhodesian War. And so I survived uh, his violence and his mental disturbance. And eventually I was, through many different circumstances, I was uh, arrived in a village. So I was left abandoned in the bush. And then I made my way to a village with the help of a, actually another soldier who actually was of service to me, saving my life. And so the people of that village, that homestead, took me in. And when one of the women sang to me, it was the first mothering I had experienced in my life. It was the first true deep nurturing of being seen with her song. And she sheltered me at, at her own risk. And they took me in, taught me ceremony, taught me, began teaching me how, how to really listen to the song in the land, the song in people. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't understand the magnitude of the war that was going on. I wandered too far from the village and I was actually shot by a soldier. And I crossed over to the other side and had a very extraordinary death experience where I was being welcomed home to my original source. And I was loved and purified by six different beings who were preparing me to be ready to receive the magnitude of the great heart, the magnitude of that original source and purifying any thoughts that I had that I wasn't good enough or somehow being abused was my fault as a child. There was something innately about me that made abuse, adults be abusive. And so they cleared out those thoughts so that I could comprehend the magnitude of the original source we come from. And it was really the singing. My, my African adoptive Af African mother had found my body. I kind of came back and I viewed her from above taking my lifeless body into her arms, stopping the blood flow. And she, at first she was wailing, wailing up into the sky. And since I was looking down from above, I wanted to comfort her. I wanted to tell her, I'm okay. I'm totally held. I have all these guides around me. I'm not in pain. And she changed her wailing to singing. And then she called on the ancestors to do a calling song to bring me back to life, to call me back home. And I was still crossing further, going to my original source. But when her calling song with the ancestors' help reached me, it turned me around and I turned back towards life. And I remembered I hadn't done my purpose, which was part of my purpose is to sing to people to help them remember their goodness, remember their wholeness. And so I turned around, came back to life to live that just as she had done for me, she called me back to life with a medicine song. And from there, I, you know, again, I was returned, taken over to South Africa and hospitalized, eventually returned back to the U.S., where sadly my family denied my experience, wouldn't let me talk about any of it. I had to repress it all down. And so again, at 19 is when I, it just started exploding out of me and I couldn't repress it any longer. And so I did a tremendous uh, healing trauma journey for two decades and then was able to start 
really returning. At, at one point, my, my therapist said to me, why are you in such a hurry? And I said, because I feel like there's something I want to give back, something I want to help others in their process. I don't know what it looks like, but uh, just really being able to give back, to turn something around. Because I was given so much during my near-death experiences that it, it created this drive into me to be of service. And many near-death experiencers say the same thing, that we want to be a service to help people remember heaven on earth. And that we're all good enough and we're all innately whole. And just like we're, this whole discussion is about remembering that. And all of your work is helping people remember their goodness, remembering that returning to love. Yes, Robin. Ah, thank you for being open. And ah, what can I say? It's like almost, it goes back to that speechless place. Yeah, because it's true. So there's no words that can describe what's being felt. Thank you so much again for your presence in this reality and for everything that that you're doing, that you have opened up to. That's just, to me, incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My honor. I have some ending questions for you, but before that, I wanted to mention that you have oh, many beautiful places online that listeners can visit. And I'll have also those links on your podcast profile. You have a Facebook page, Instagram page. You offer a free 60-minute class on nurturing your nervous system. You also offer intuitive reading, drawing, and singing medicine group. This is an app, actually, that I have the link here, so I have on your podcast. You mm -hmm. offer online classes, group sessions, and the beautiful lion and turtle blankets. Mm -hmm. I love them. I think I mentioned off-record. There's anything else that you would like to mention, Robin, when it comes to uh, listeners finding what you do, your work? Mm -hmm. I'm really moving towards film because it can serve such a large community. And so there's also my YouTube page. And, and I just find film a way to get across and serve such a large uh, community of people and also potentially to bring people together. Um, in one of my trainings, somebody said, online relationships can end up leading to in-person relationships, which I really love. So that's very hopeful. So, so yes, I have, the, I have the groups and the classes. And I just find so many people are hungry to free themselves and free their nervous system and come home to their body because it's the, you know, it's the place that we reside. And transforming that negativity bias of look, looking for danger to a more open-hearted place of looking for the love, looking for the connection, looking for the places that we can contribute. One of my favorite phrases when I, I've had the privilege of going back to Zimbabwe twice and been able to reunite with the granddaughter of one of the women who saved my life and other people who helped in saving my life. And they have a beautiful phrase, instead of saying thank you, they say, it's a pleasure, meaning, meaning it's my joy to help you. And there's, you know, in, in every culture, there's shadow and there's light, but there's very much a, the reason I'm alive today is because they saw a child. And even though I was of a different race and different culture, they said that child needs mothering. And even though I'm not her biological mother, 
I'm going to mother her. And so it's that true deep community of people willing to love bravely that I'm hoping that all my work in the book and the film and the classes, that that facilitates other people stepping up to love themselves and to love others. Oh, it is a joy. I love that, that way of saying. I don't say pleasure for some reason. <laughs> I kind of refrain from saying that. Uh, not that I have anything against pleasure, but joy, that resonates um, mm-hmm. with me. Yeah, I do have the YouTube channel. I do have that here too. Yeah, I forgot to mention because I think the link was, I could not pronounce the link. There's a lot of uh, codes, but I'll have mm-hmm. the link on your podcast profile, of course. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they transition? Mm, wow, what a great question. Being at a birth and being at a death. And when we can be really present to a death, it, I believe, deepens our gratitude for being here and can really erase any times that we might take something for granted. Yeah, so being at a death and, and having it be safe and mindful and and at the moment, because it's close to spring, um, I really love swimming in natural bodies of water, swimming in lakes. And so swimming surrounded by nature in something that's a pristine, beautiful environment that's safe and quiet, swimming in, swimming in nature. So those would be my three, a birth, a death, and swimming in nature. Thank you so much, Robin, again, for everything that you share so beautifully and for being not just the messenger, but the message. Mm. That's coming to me more often, too. How amazing it is to see human beings becoming the message of what is being delivered. It's just incredible. Thank you so much. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And um, the way to say uh, thank you in Venda, which is um, in Zimbabwe, is Rolebua. Rolebua. <laughs> that song. I mean, it's just incredible. This the language and the way you sing. I keep, yeah. And I just wanted to say too that you have. Um, I'll have the link of the. I think it's the subscription um, link that people can subscribe. You sing a song there that is just body felt, everything felt. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just takes us to a new dimension, kind of a new space, a space of love. Really, that's mm-hmm. what I felt. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you. And the beauty of people subscribing to the um, newsletter is they'll be the first to find out when the book is ready. I'll be there. Actually, I was so mesmerized by the song that I forgot to subscribe. <laughs> that, that could happen. So I don't know about having that song there, Robin. Uh, I was just in a different space <laughs> completely. I, I just laughed and started dancing in the room. So I don't know about having that song there. <laughs> uh, thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much. Bye for now, Robin. Bye for now. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn more about Robin Aisha Landsong and her work, please visit robinlandsong.com backslash subscribe dash landsong. Ooh. 
To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.